0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Good morning. This morning we're going to continue in our series. Um, our series right now is called Six Words uh, That Can Change Your Life. Um, and because we missed last week, oh, that that's going to get slashed, and it's going to be five words. Five words that can change your life. Because what's coming, what's coming next, is that um, after this series on February, not February, that's going backwards. In May, May 21st, uh, we're going to be launching a vision series. Um, some of our leadership, we've been working on some things, we've been living some things, we've been experiencing some things, and we feel like, and we've been praying for God around vision and direction of this church, and we feel like that God is saying, hey, this is the next step, this is the next season that I think Damascus Road uh, should go in. And so what we're going to do is we're going to come together for about five to six weeks, both Park Street and West, we're going to come together, share this space, become kind of this one church in two locations. But we're going to be one church in one location for this season of vision, the season of telling stories. Um, there's a lot of stories that we want to share and tell. God has been moving, and we want to share where God has been moving, and we want to tell those stories together. And so we're going to, like, the worship team's going to look like Park Street and West. Children team is going to look like Park Street and West. We're just going to be one church in one location for a season, and, and be able to celebrate that. And I love, I love that when we can come together, I love how our relationships can come together. I know sometimes I'm like, looked at like, I'm the West pastor guy. And sure, that's that's my job. But I also want you guys to know, like, I'm, I'm a pastor of Damascus Road. And like, and I'm for you guys. I'm for us. I'm for one church. I'm for us in two locations. So just know that, like, it's exciting, and it excites me that we're going to be able to come together for this season, for an extended period of time, and serve together, work together, and share life together um, as God kind of breathes new life and direction into this next season that I believe Damascus Road is going in. And so I just kind of want to give you like a little picture of the future and where we're going, and just know that I'm excited. I'm looking forward to May 21st. Um, But I'm also looking forward to today, because I love this series. I love this series. Now five words that will change your life. Last week, or two weeks ago, we looked at the word yes. We looked at God's yes for us that God's yes for us is how he loves us how he died for us how he gave himself up for us and how like our God is for us that our God doesn't have a no in his mind for us because sometimes we think that sometimes we think what's God's disposition towards us and we think oh it's probably a no it's probably like a uh, but what we heard is that God is for us our God is with us, and our God loves us, and our God has a huge yes for us. Today, the word that I want to talk about, that I believe that if we engage in, it will begin to change our lives, is the word no. It's the word no. And the word no is not a fun word at all. It's not a word that like we get super excited about, but no is this incredible word that creates boundaries, that creates... Li- <laughs> freedom and liberation. And no, actually, believe it or not, I know that we don't say it very often. We don't like to say it a whole lot. I mean if there was a guy that like walked in and he had a big big NO on his shirt, you'd be like, what like what's up with that dude? Like why does he have a big shirt that says no? You'd be like, I don't want to sit next to that like bundle of fun. You know like you you might you might look at him and be like man that, that guy's that guy's gotta be like he's rebelling. He's rebelling against something because this, this no word has has this rebellion underneath it, and at one point in our lives, this word no was one of our favorite words. And I got a video of my son kind of showing off how he loves this word no so can we can we throw that video up there real quick? Oh, oh we're missing the audio, which is the whole point <laughs> It's not there, no. Oh, bummer. Uh, He's saying no, 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 no. I mean, he just goes on for like 40 seconds. He loves, loves, loves the word no. I mean, he's still going right now. I mean, we're not even talking to him. He's just like going no, 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 no. He's got different intonations of it. His favorite word right now is no, and he'll just get on a roll. And he'll get on a roll, and he'll start saying no to things that, like, he would normally say yes to. He'd be like, you want strawberries? No. I mean, he says it in a way, like, why would you ask that? He's like, no. No. I mean, we love the word no. There was a season of life where we loved this word no. But the thing is, is that eventually we begin to realize and we begin to learn that people like us a lot better if we say yes people like us a lot better if we say yes. So we start saying yes to things in life. We start saying, sure, I can do that. Yes, I can do that. And we get really creative with our yeses. We start saying creatively yeses to our bosses, to our schedules, to meetings, to hanging out with people, maybe even people that we would rather not hang out with, but we're like, sure, because we just don't want to like hurt anyone's feelings. We just want to like be in this community and so we like we say yes to a whole bunch of things and we build out our schedule to where we get just incredibly, incredibly tired and frustrated and our lives begin to feel empty. And and as a parent, like you've got kids and like you're starting to say yes to kids. And and I what I found is that when I talk to parents, we kind of have this game. We kinda have this game as parents. Like I ask them like hey how's it going? They're like, oh I'm kind of tired. I'm like yeah I'm tired too. Parent with more kids says, wait till you have another one. And I was like, oh, there's one on the way. There's one on the way. And I'm just like, wait till you have another. I'm like, wait, what do you mean wait till you have another? They're like, yeah, wait till you have another one. Two is crazy. Or if you've got a parent with three, they're like, just wait till you have three. Just wait till you have four. Just wait till you have seven. Right, Tony? Six? <laughs> Six. Eventually they grow up and they can help. But the way that conversation goes oftentimes is like, wait until you have another, is that eventually they're like, oh yeah, yeah, but don't worry, you'll get used to it. And I'm like, I'm already tired, I've got one kid, I'm exhausted, and I've got one more coming, and the answer that you give me is that, oh, it's okay, don't worry, you'll get used to it. Like, are you serious? Like, my body is crying out, I need a nap. I need a vacation. I need to rest. And the the advice that you give me is that you'll get used to it. Ignore all of that for 7, 8, 10, 14 years. Eventually, they'll grow up. They can help. But until then, get used to it. The way that I look at this is that's kind of like this old car that I had. I had this old car, and it started making this noise. And you know with old cars and noises, that, that normally means money. And I didn't have any. And so I'm just like, we're going to drive with the noise. I'm going to try and get used to it. And so I kind of got used to it a little bit. And then a friend got in the car with me. He's like, man, what's that noise? I was like, I don't know. It's been making it for a while. He's like, I think I know what that noise is. I was like, oh, you do? I'd like to know. He's like, yeah. He's like, I think it's a wheel bearing. And I was like, oh, that sounds kind of important. He's like, yeah. He's like, if that part fails, when you're going like 70 miles an hour down the road, he's like, you could die. I was like, oh, man, that's a... That's a big deal. Like, like, he's like, yeah, if you don't get that fixed, that could be catastrophic. I was like, OK. Dropped my friend off. Kept driving. Because I'm used to it. I'm used to it. Eventually, it got so bad, and my voice's friend, my friend's voice got in. got so loud, that I was like, all right, I should probably do something about this. So what I did is I went to AutoZone. I priced out the wheel bearing. I bought the cheapest one. It's an old car. I don't want to spend a lot of money. I don't have a lot of money. I'm going to buy the cheapest one. So I go. I, Fix the part, I go down the road, I'm like, man, this is amazing. Not 12 months later, guess what's humming again? That wheel bearing. That wheel bearing is woo woo, woo, woo again. And I'm just like, oh man. And I feel like this is the picture of our lives that we kind of have these things going on in our lives that it's just screaming out take the time to fix it, take the time to say no, take the time to stop. And what we often do is that we will finally say, okay, you know what? I'm going to take a Saturday and do nothing, and I'm just going to rest. Or I'm going to take a couple days vacation or maybe even a week vacation and be like, oh, that's good. I'm glad that I said no to some things. Or maybe we'll decide, you know what? I'm going to say no to this thing, and then we'll turn around and say yes to something else. But we'll, like, pat ourselves on the back as soon as we like, yeah, I took that day off. I went on vacation. I got to breathe for a second. Kind of like when I changed my wheel bearing. I was like, yes. I did it. And I got away with spending only $50. And then nine months later, you know, we're just like, oh man, that really, that really didn't pay off because we didn't actually change anything. We actually didn't create any type of rhythm where we were, we were saying no consistently and where we were feeding our souls with things that bring us life. And we continued down this life that said, Yes, that said yes to almost everything. And my question is, is how is saying yes going for you guys? How's it going? I mean, how much, how much love, how much joy, how much peace, how much patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, how, like how much of that is being produced in your life? Or are you, or is what's being produced in your life right now, busyness, frustration, resentment, and exhaustion. I'd say that probably those things Don't forget stress. and stress. Yeah, absolutely stress, absolutely stress. And the thing that can change all of this, that can change all of this for us, the really the word that can change our life this morning is the word "no." And it's the word that God has given us to use. God uses the word "no" to kind of do surgery on our hearts and cut out some things in our lives that is killing us. That's absolutely. Killing us. And so we're going to look into some ways that God says no. The Bible is full of some amazing, amazing no's. So there's this guy named uh, Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph, is thrown into this hole by his brothers. He's pulled out of the hole, sold into slavery. He becomes this servant in this house, and he's the servant of the, the chief jailer of the city. And, uh, and his, his wife, the chief, the chief jailer's wife, she wants Joseph. She wants him bad. And, uh, and so she kind of like offers herself to Joseph, and Joseph says no, and he gets out of there. He goes running for his life. The thing is, is that that actually costs him his life. He gets thrown into prison because he said no, because <laughs> this guy, Potter for his wife, creates the story that Joseph wanted to throw himself onto her, and he kind of reverses the story, but Joseph, he knew who he was. He knew that who he was. He knew that he was a representative of God. He knew that he was a child of God, and he knew what his mission was, and he knew that his mission was to follow God and to follow God's commands. And so because of that, he was able to say no and run, and God blesses him for it eventually. It's not instant. He ends up in prison. He ends up in prison for a long time. But the story of Joseph, eventually he becomes second in command over the entire empire. So that's Joseph. Another no is there's three dudes called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these dudes, they are in exile. They're in Babylon. And there's this foreign king, and he creates this huge idol made out of gold. And he creates this huge day where everyone's going to come around the idol and bow down to it. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're some of the king's like, closest servants. And they're like, no, king, we can't do that. We only worship our God. We only worship the God, the creator of the universe, we can't bow down and worship this God, gets them thrown into a furnace, and God saves them. God saves them. They're they're no, God shows up and honors when they say no to this temptation to bow down to idols. There's this other guy called Nehemiah. Nehemiah, um, the temple has been destroyed, and he, he kind of gets this, this vision from God that he's supposed to go back and rebuild The temple that he's that God has commissioned him to go work and rebuild the temple and while he's rebuilding the temple some of the surrounding nations the enemies around him they come up to the temple and they they try and distract him they try and bring him down they're actually trying to kill him because they're afraid that if they get rebuilt that they're going to be this military force against them and so so they come up and they they come up to Nehemiah and they're like hey Nehemiah come down for a second we just want to chat with you and Nehemiah's like no I'm not coming down. And, the, and they come up to Nehemiah four times. And this is what Nehemiah says back to them. He says, I'm engaged in a great work. I can't come down. Why should I stop working and come meet with you? Why should I stop working and come meet with you? The thing is, is that when we kind of get onto this direction, where we begin to hear from God and respond, and we begin to do the things that God has called us to do as his people, there's going to be some things that come along and try and distract us from that. And this guy, we want to have a meeting with you. Not, not terribly unreasonable. I have people that come up to me and be like, hey, I want a meeting with you all the time. And I'm like, sure. Let me see how I can say yes to you. Let me pull out my calendar. Let's pull out your calendar. Let's see how we can say yes to each other, even if we have to like make it work however, how, however much it makes stress or additions. Instead, he's like, no, man, not right now. Wait until I'm done. Then maybe we can have a chat. These guys. Joseph, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Nehemiah. These guys knew their identity. They knew whose they were. They knew that they were loved by God. And they also knew their mission. And that's what allowed them to say no. Because when they said no to things, they're able to say no to the things that try to steal away at their identity and at their mission. And they were able to then say yes to the things that God has called them to, their identity and their mission. And so we have an identity. We have an identity. We talked about that last week. That is God's yes for us. Our identity is that God loves us. We are loved by God. It is on the cross that God has this huge yes for us. And so that's who we are. That's our identity. And then we've also been given a mission. We have been sent out into the world to go share that love with everyone that we encounter. A lot of times we live in this world of like, where we kind of dichotomize or we kind of like separate um, out and we say, this compartment, this box over here, this is the mission part of my life. And so we're going to say, when I volunteer for kids, or when I volunteer for youth group, or when I volunteer and serve the church, or when I volunteer and help at the, <laughs> the food bank, or whatever that is, we say, that's our mission. I'm on mission in this box. And that's kind of where we live. And we're like, all right, I live in my identity of love by God. But when it comes to the mission, we're just going to confine it to this box. What I want to do this morning and say is that our mission isn't this box. That's not it. If we think that our mission is this box and that we're supposed to be a bunch of doers, like that's not it. Instead, God calls us to be on mission wherever we are. Our identity and our mission come together, that we are loved by God and we are sent by him wherever we are. That Our mission is our workplace. Our mission is our home. Our mission is the grocery store. Our mission is how we drive on the highways. Our mission is how we see the city. Our mission is while we're at the park. Our mission is everywhere that we find ourselves listening to God saying, who here needs to receive the love of God and how can I be a conduit for that to happen? How can somebody encounter God through me, wherever I'm at. This is what these dudes were about when they were saying no. They were saying no to the things that got in the way of that. And that's what I want us to be able to walk away from this morning with us. How can we begin to say no to these things that attack our identity and our mission? And so we're going to look at one of the masters of no this morning, and that master is Jesus. Jesus was a master of saying No. When he began his ministry, he got baptized and then he was sent out into the wilderness. And there the devil tempted him for 40 days. And he tempted him with three different temptations. And so we're going to look at those temptations this morning. And so the first temptation is this. The tempter approached him, Jesus, and he asked him, he says, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Part of the story I didn't tell you: these forty days when he's in the wilderness, he's not eaten, so he's pretty hungry. And this is towards the end of it; he's he's not eaten for forty days, and so the tempter comes up to him. He says, "If you're the son of God, turn these stones, make them become bread." And Jesus answers him. He says, "It is written, man must not live on bread alone, but from every word that comes from the mouth of God." This is Jesus's no. To the devil's temptation is that no, I'm not going to turn these stones into bread because of this temptation, the temptation that the devil is coming at Jesus with, he comes at with you and me all the time. When the when the text talks about bread, what it's talking about, it's talking about stuff that we have. And the thing is, is that we're tempted in this life to believe that we are what we have. That if we have a lot, we must mean that we we mean a lot. And if we don't have a whole lot, then we must not mean a lot. That's one of the temptations that we really face, is that it's about stuff. The crazy thing is that the Israelites knew what this was about firsthand. The Israelites, they were enslaved for 400 years in Egypt, and they built bricks, and the things that they built bricks for was to store houses of grain, so that the people that had much could have more, and so that the people that had little continued to have little. But they built these houses of grain so that Pharaoh could eat and have as much bread as he ever wanted. He could have the best bread that he ever wanted. And when God sends Israel into the desert, God retrains them what it is to understand social hierarchy and social order. Because the Israelites, all they know is that once you're in power, you oppress people, you enslave them, and you build storehouses so that you can have the most bread in the world. That's what they had modeled to them. When God sends them into the desert, he's like, we need to break you of that. You're going to go without food for a little bit. And they get cranky, as we do, without food, right? And what then happens, God's like, all right, I'm going to bring food down. He's like, I'm going to bring daily bread down called manna. And he's like, but don't take any more than what you need for today, because if you do, it will rot tomorrow. Seems like some simple commands. But the Israelites, being human beings like you and I do, guess what? In like loving bread, knowing that they need to store bread if they're going to be powerful, they take a bunch of bread, and guess what happens the next day? It's all rotten. It's all rotten. But God is faithful. God daily, day in, day out, produces bread. And he's saying, hey, it's not about storing up bread. It's about trusting me. Your identity is not found on what you have and what you can produce and what you can store, but it's on what I can do. It's on that you are loved, and that you are sent, and that in being loved, I'm going to provide some daily bread for you. And so one of the ways, the practice, that we can kind of work against this temptation, that we are what we have, the way that we can say no to this, is that we can just begin to say no to some stuff in our lives. And that practice is called fasting. We can begin to fast. Now, fasting normally is done around food. It's normally this place where we say no to food for a certain period of time so that we can fill that area with prayer and with study and with God. And the reality is that we can be called to fast around almost anything in our world. And because what fasting does is when it's saying no to something that's in our regular rhythm, so it's intentional, it's something that we probably do every day, it's being able to say no to that so that we can begin to say yes To being present to the world around us and so when we say no to food and we take a meal off we can say yes to being present to god we can say yes to being present to the people around us maybe food isn't necessarily what we need to fast from maybe maybe we need to to pray into this lean into this i think one of the things that that is just kind of really affecting our culture significantly are our phones I mean, we live in this place where, like, we, like, it just buzzes all the time in your pocket. At least I carry mine in my pocket. Sometimes I have, like, fake vibrations in my pocket. It happens that much, you know? And so we, so we, like, we spend our lives, and it's just like we text somebody, and, like, you know what happens when you text somebody? It buzzes them on the other side. So, sure, it can feel like, you know, you're just touching this glass screen, and, like, you hit send, and it's like, oh, nothing physical happened. On the other side, there's a physical response. And it's like, Whoa. And wherever they are, guess what? They're not present where they are now. They're present to that buzz in their pocket. Have you guys ever saw like, the place where it's like you have a master and they're like, ringing a bell and like the servant comes running? Like, that's kind of what we do throughout our daily lives is that we're both the person ringing the bell and we're also the servant that comes running. It just depends on which end we're on. If we're on the end that's like sending the text message because it's urgent and I need you to reply now, we're ringing the bell. And if we're ringing the bell, then we're expecting somebody else to come running but sometimes somebody rings the bell for us and we're like, all right, I need to come running and answer that. The other day I was in a meeting with somebody and my phone buzzed. And I did the dumb thing of flipping my phone over and looking at it. And the text message seemed important. So I told the person I was meeting with, I'm like, I'm sorry, just a second, this is really important. I need I need to attend to this. And and I'll get and like we can we can re-engage in a second. And so I pu- pulled back my presence from them wrote back this text message in response that was important. The reality was is that that text message wasn't that important. The only reason that it was important is because somebody somewhere felt like they could ring the bell. That's the only reason. And then I had this fear that if I didn't answer that bell, I was going to let them down. I was going to miss an opportunity. And you know what I missed? I missed the opportunity to be present to that person that I was sitting with sharing life with, sharing breath with, sharing air with in that coffee shop. I had to completely disengage and then completely reengage. And the thing is that we live in a culture where that's normal. We live in a culture where that's normal, where we just like fragment ourselves. The average person looks at their phone 150 times a day. And so um, there's an app that you can download on your phone. Um, There's a bunch of different apps that you can download on your phone. It will track your usage. Um, And so last week I did it and I just like kept my usage normal. And then this week I practiced like saying no to it. I was able to cut two hours of my phone usage down by actively saying no to my phone. I was somewhere around four hours. This last week I was around two hours a day. Okay, so just get something because data will like blow your mind. It'll blow your mind and it gives you a frame of reference. And so maybe somewhere where we need to begin to fast is from our technology and our phone and where we can begin to be present to where God has sent us. Because he has sent us in physical, real places and he wants us to be present to it. And our phones rip us away from that. Maybe God wants us to actually fast from food. And he's saying, hey, instead of feasting on real food, come feast on me. Come feast on my word. I love how Beth lately has just been talking about the word and how rich it is and how beautiful it is. And when we get in here, like this begins to breathe life into us. And so come and feast on the word maybe what you need to do is actually just go and, like, declutter your life. Maybe you've been storing stuff. Do you guys know there's, a, there's actually an industry around storage? There's a whole industry around storage. It's a $30 billion industry, $30 billion about storing bread. That's how much we spend to store our bread. Maybe we need to get rid of some stuff. Maybe we need to let some stuff go. Maybe we need to declutter our lives. And so the first temptation is that we are what we have, that if you have a lot, you're not a lot. And the invitation is to rebel against that because remember the word no, it has this rebellion hook to it. So let's let's rebel against that identity this week and say no to the stuff in our lives about collecting more stuff. The second temptation, the devil says he took him to the holy city And he had him stand on a pillow of the holy temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it's written, he will give angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. The devil here, he's kind of agging Jesus on. He's saying, hey, if you're really who you say you are, go do something and be spectacular. Be spectacular. The way that I know the Word of God even says that you'll be spectacular. Go and be amazing. The second temptation is you are what you do. You are what you do. And if you do a lot, you must mean a lot. And if you don't do a whole lot, you must not mean a whole lot. And we know that that's a lie. We know that that's a lie from the pit of hell. But that's the thing that just like keeps us saying yes, 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 especially to our bosses, especially to our work, especially to our friends, is that we just want to say I'm busy. We love pulling that card out, don't we? We love saying, man, you wouldn't believe how busy I am. And be like, yeah, but you wouldn't believe how busy I am. Like, we like to one-up each other on how busy we are because we think that what we do defines who we are. And God says, no, I define who you are. And you need to begin to say no to some of the things that are stealing away your presence from me and presence from other people as you just do, 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 do. And so the practice of saying no is to take Sabbath. We need to take Sabbath. And Sabbath is just a day where we stop and we do nothing. Can you imagine a day where you stopped and did nothing? Where you didn't do the honeydew list, where you didn't go to Home Depot, where you didn't, you know, you made food the day before, so you just got the microwave leftovers, or you went out to a restaurant where you didn't, like, provide any value for anybody. You didn't have to make or produce. You just got to, like, Sit and be and exhale and rest. How would that change your life to be able to to just trust that in your inactivity, God would be able to do way more than what you ever could have done had you been able to get everything done on your list? That's what Sabbath is. Sabbath is trusting that in doing nothing, God is going to do immeasurably more Even if you could get that list that is infinitely long done, if you could have gotten that all done in one day, the reality is on Sabbath, God's going to do even more than that. A couple weeks ago, my family, we went to the Children's Museum. And it was the first time that we took Benjamin to the Children's Museum. And it was... uh, heavy week of work. It was kind of a heavier front end. And then I was leaving later that day to go to a conference that was going to be pretty intense for the next four days. And I was trying to be present. I took Wednesday afternoon off because I was like, I want to at least be present to my family and, and, and engage them before I'm gone and on this intense place. And so we went to the Children's Museum. And as the whole time that we're at the Children's Museum, I'm like in this fog. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm in this fog. I'm thinking about stuff that I didn't get done yet in the first three days of the week. And I'm thinking of the stuff that I'm not going to be able to get done because I'm going to be at this conference. I'm starting to think of, like, some of the conversations that are going to be difficult that we're going to have at this conference. And this is all happening while my son's engaging the Children's Museum for the first time. And he's loving it. And I'm missing it. And we leave the Children's Museum. And as we leave the Children's Museum, I'm just starting to come out of the fog. And I just, I like wanted to cry. I wanted to yell, stop, we need a redo. Like, can we can we go back and like redo all of that? But like that has passed. That passed. And I missed it. I wasn't able to be present to my family. There was even a woman there that was that was that just started to engage with us and she started talking to us. She's somebody that like I could have really Probably poured into, could have been present to, could have blessed her in some way, but like, as she's talking to me, I'm like, I got nothing for you. Like, it's great to meet you, but like, I'm fried. And when we don't take Sabbath, when we don't rest, when we don't trust in God, this is what happens. And so a couple weeks later, I was like, all right, I'm gonna Sabbath. It's gonna be Friday. Friday's my day off. I'm gonna Sabbath. I turned my phone off. I'm like, I'm not gonna say yes to anything. And we went back to the Children's Museum. And we had an awesome time. That's what Sabbath can do. We went to the children's museum, we went out to eat. I was able to be present to my family. I was able to be present to the waiter. I was being I was able to be present to the city. Sabbath saying no is this rebellion against this idea that we are what we produce. Now maybe you're in the season where like you don't produce a whole lot. And you're just like, man, but I feel really terrible because like all I do is just nothing. I don't, or I don't, I feel like I don't contribute much. The thing is, I want to encourage you to take a Sabbath. Because the point of Sabbath is that it is who God is, who God says you are is what matters. It's not what you produce. So whether you do much or whether you do little, that doesn't matter. Take a Sabbath. Because Sabbath is about resting in who God says you are. And you don't have to be spectacular for him. Because he's already been spectacular for us on the cross. So we can say no to those things. All right, the final temptation. The final temptation is this. Um, The devil took him up to a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor, and he said to him, I will give you all of these things if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus told him, go away, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. This final temptation is that we are what other people think of us. The devil wanted Jesus to bow down and worship him. That was an expectation the devil placed on Jesus was like, if you want this thing, if you want success, you should just bow down, worship me, get it over with, and people will think that you're amazing. People think that you're awesome. And it's this trap of like, I don't want to say no. I don't want to disappoint. And what happens is that we live in this prison of fear, of wondering what other people think of us. And so we live in this prison of fear of just, like, we know that there are expectations that other people place on us that are explicit, but then there's also a bunch of expectations that a bunch of people put on us that are kind of implicit that we just kind of, like, read into, and we start putting <laughs> voices and expectations into other people's mouths, and we start saying, well, this person expects me to do this. This person expects me to do that. Some of the best conversations I've had with somebody is, like, did that person tell you that they expected you to do that? I was like, No like, then how do you know? And I was like, well, I just know by the way they looked at me. You know, I can just know because that's who they are. You know, we started making examples. With, but there are many times where we say yes to expectations that no one's even placed on us because we live in fear that we're going to let them down. And so we believe this reality that if people think much of us, we must be important. If think, people think low of us, we must be not important. And that's all a lie. The reality is, is that if we live in this place where we are constantly concerned about what other people are thinking of us, no matter what that is—whether that's our boss, whether that's our spouse, whether that's our whatever, wherever that is—you will never be able to give enough. You will never be able to give enough. And so, the practice this week is to go out and disappoint somebody <laughs> and be okay with it. And I'm not talking maliciously disappoint somebody. When I say go out and disappoint somebody, what I mean is, is don't go out go out and say no to some expectations that you were never meant to fulfill. That's what I mean about disappoint somebody, is go out and say no to some expectations that have been placed on your life that you have never were meant to fulfill. Jesus is a master of doing this. Jesus disappoints people all the time. Jesus with the disciples, they think that they're going to go take over and overthrow the Roman government. Jesus dies on a cross. That was pretty disappointing. <laughs> Two disciples, they want to sit on Jesus' right hand and left hand. Jesus is like, nope, you don't want to be there. That was pretty disappointing. The Pharisees, they're like, Jesus, you don't play by the rules. It would just be easier if you played by the rules. Jesus' mother and brother said, so like, Jesus, this would be a lot easier for us if you just stopped thinking that you were the Messiah. And Jesus is like, I can't do that. I can't do that. You know why? Because he knew his identity, and he knew his mission, and he knew the expectations that he was coming to meet. And he, the only person that he didn't disappoint was the Father. And that's what matters. That's what matters is that Jesus comes, and he disappoints everybody. But in disappointing everyone, he saves the world. And so that's the good news of saying no, is that we can rebel against the expectations in our lives that we were never designed or meant to fulfill. This last week, I was offered a position on... Uh, the board of his house. His house was the organization that I came from before coming to Damascus Road. It's an organization that I love. I was formerly on staff. The director. It's a new director. He's like, you would be awesome because we're looking at new vision. We're looking at new direction. He's like, you're a former staff person. He's like, it would be great for you to be on the board of his house. And I love his house. I wanted to say yes to this, but my wife and I we prayed and we're just like, you know what? We gotta say no to this. And so I met with him last week and I was like, hey man, I appreciate you want me to be on the board. I'm, I'm thankful for that invitation, but guess what? I, I can't say yes to this. I, I need to say no. I've got a baby coming in August. I'm like, we're doing some cool things that we're rolling out at the church. I was like, I've, I just I can't do it. And guess what? I survived. <laughs> he was actually like, all right, no problem. And part of this is just trusting that God's going to be faithful, whether we're part of it or not. And that's kind of the aha for me this week is that all of these things is that like God is faithful and that God is much, much bigger than you and me. And there's so many times where I think I'm so much bigger than God. And so God's saying, let me be in control of this. Let me be bigger than you. The reality is is that each of these temptations, these temptations that we are what we have, this temptation that we are what we do, this temptation that we are what people think of us, they challenge our identity and our mission And if Satan can get us at our identity and our mission, if he can trip us up there, that's the ball game. Like, that's the ball game. If we buy into those lies, if we buy into those temptations, like, he's got it. But the beautiful thing is that God has given us this word of rebellion that says no. No to all of that. And it's on the cross that we see Jesus give one of the biggest no's possible. So Jesus, he's being crucified on the cross. He's breathing some of his last breaths of life. He's already been in the garden saying, God, if you could take this away from me, please do it. He's being mocked on the cross by you and me saying, Jesus, if you're really the son of God, come down. We're telling him, be spectacular if you really are who you are. And he could. He could have called on the heavenly host. He could have brought himself down. He could have taken over Rome. He could have led this victory. And he says no to all of that. You know why? So he can say yes to making us his children. So he can say yes to you and me and that we can be brought into the family. And so Jesus says the biggest no so that he can invite the biggest yes. And that's what we're talking about this morning, is that our God invites us to say no to the things that challenge our identity and our mission, so that we can say yes to the things that God has called us to say yes to, so that we can begin to breathe new life, so that we can say yes to who we truly are, and that's that we're a people that are incredibly loved by God and who are sent wherever we are, and the word no allows us to do that. And so my hope for us and my prayer for us this morning is that we would go forward into this week and engage the word no in a way that it will change your life so that the word no, even though it feels like it's a delivery of bad news, could actually be the tool of incredible good news for you and your life and those around you that God has called you to be on mission and love and serve. All right, so we're going to pray, we're going to worship, and we're going to take communion and celebrate how Jesus said no so that he could say yes to us. All right, let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that we have together. We thank you that we can open your word and see these temptations. And God, just see how you attack them and how you said no and how you give us permission to say no to the things in this life that want to distract us and take us away from you. God, I pray that we would have the courage this week to say no, that we'd have the courage this week to say yes to the things that you're inviting us to say yes to and god that we would experience your peace and your presence and your love wherever we are god we thank you for all that you've done for us and we thank you that in the cross you said no so that you might say yes to us in your name we pray amen